Thank you for downloading the Southeast Economics Podcast. If you like more information about Southeast Economics and what we can offer, go to the website www.southeasteconomics.co.uk. Hello and welcome to the Regulatory Economics Podcast. My name's Rob Toll. I'm the host. The idea behind the Regulatory Economics Podcast is to provide an insight into developments in economic regulation in the UK. We plan to host a series of interviews with leading lights in the regulatory sphere, and we're delighted to welcome Dr. Harry Bush to the inaugural edition of the podcast. And before he joins us, it's worth mentioning that we're very keen to obtain feedback on the podcast in general, and in particular the type of topics that you might be interested hearing about. So please don't hesitate to get in touch by emailing podcast at southeasteconomics.co.uk. That's all one word on the Southeast Economics. Or you can visit the website, which is www.southeasteconomics.co.uk and please provide your feedback through there. So a very warm welcome to Dr. Harry Bush. As I'm sure you may be aware, Dr. Bush has recently stood down from his post as Group Director of Economic Regulation at the Civil Aviation Authority. Harry's very kindly agreed to give me the first interview for the Regulatory Economics Podcast. Welcome, Harry. Thanks very much, Rob. Thanks for having me. We agreed to talk about um, some of your reflections on your time at the CEA. When you look back over the last eight years, what would you say are the things that stand out, the things that leap to the front of your mind as you think about your time as a regulator? Well, I I would uh, boil it down, if I'm just talking about it for a short period, to what I would call the two Cs, and that would be competition, how competition in particularly in the airport sector increased over that time and how perceptions of it changed. And the second C is constructive engagement and the big initiative we launched there in about 2004, which then developed to try and bring airports and airlines closer together to develop more business-like arrangements feeding into the regulatory reviews. Thinking about competition, first of all then, because it's quite a hot topic in aviation at the moment. Obviously, the Competition Commission decreed that BEA's Southeast Airport should be broken up um, and BEA have sold Gatwick, and it looks as though Stansted sooner or later is likely to leave the BEA family. How do you see the airport market in the Southeast developing with these changes? Well, I think quite rightly, and you've done it yourself, people have focused on the CC's decision uh, to break up. The, the airports and I think that will lead to increased competition. You can see it already with the uh, the more proactive line that Gatwick's taken and you could see as well the competition between Stansted and Gatwick particularly developing in addition to that there's already been with uh, Luton. But I think one of the important things is to, is to look beyond that breakup story which obviously gets a lot of headlines and say are there some longer term things that are going on here in the market which are facilitating competition? Because breaking up a company doesn't necessarily of itself produce competition unless the market is going to allow that competition to take place. So I think I would pay particular attention to the way the airline market has changed because the way the airline market has changed has really enabled airport competition to take off, so to speak. Um, And it's the development really of point-to-point traffic, uh, it's the mobility of the uh, low cost between airports, their willingness to move uh, and to bargain very heavily with the with those airports. And so you're getting a very mobile asset, a plane, able to move between airports much more easily in the past under the old hub-and-spoke model, uh, the old uh, network airline model. 
And that has made for much more competition. Now, of course, that has mainly affected the regional airports, but you can see it also very much at at Gatwick, now very heavily uh, low cost, mm. at Stansted as well. So it's that those longer term developments into which this breakup story has to be placed. I agree. There's certainly been a revolution, you might say, in, in the airline market over the last 20 years. When I think about the airport market, the thing that troubles me slightly when I think about competition is the lack of capacity, particularly at the peak. So um, mm. many of the, the key landing slots are used up and there's various rules in place to make sure that those who have used the slots before can use them in the future. Is that a barrier to competition in the airport market, do you think, or are there ways that the market can get around those constraints? Well, once again, of course, the more capacity you've got, you probably get more more competition. Um, But uh, I don't think one could go to the opposite extreme and say, because there's a shortage of capacity, you won't get competition. I think one needs to look, for instance, at the way Gatwick has developed. Gatwick has been pretty full, certainly in the summer peaks, mm. uh, for many years. Uh, and yet, if you look at uh, the makeup of Gatwick's traffic now compared with, say, 10 years ago, it's totally changed. Yeah. So, again, you have to look at these uh, facets of the airport market against the very dynamic, much changing airline market, which enables this competition to take place much more easily than it would otherwise take place yeah so it's a fascinating subject and i'm sure we'll both watch with interest to see what happens in the aviation sector what about regulation then how should the ce regulate the airport market in the future to the extent that competition begins to be introduced first of all i'd sort of like to just put a little bit of a focus on the extent to which some of the things the ca did over the last five ten years both under my watch and my predecessor's watch were very important to laying some of the ground for the increase in competition. I would instance a couple of things. I mean, first of all, in 2003, the CA decided, and this was before I turned up, that cross-subsidy between the London airports should should end. Mm-hmm. Now, it seems extraordinary now as we're thinking about the breakup of, of BAA and the development of further competition in the market that we were even 10 years ago permitting cross-subsidy and that there were people, BAA, the Competition Commission in 2002-03 and actually the government uh, at one point were all arguing in favour of this quite recently. So actually that was a very important stand for the CAA to take, first of all, I say, with, under my predecessor. So that was without that, we wouldn't have got as far as we have with the, with the competition agenda. I think the second thing is to recognise that when you're setting price controls you've actually got to pay attention to how they impact the development of competition because what you ideally want to do is get to a position where you can dispense with the price control and leave the job to competition. But in the meantime, if you set the price control wrongly, you may actually undermine the development of competition. So if you look at the Manchester story, in 2003, again, the Competition Commission had recommended very draconian really uh, very tight price controls there the CAA re- regarded them as too tight and likely to prejudice the development of competitors like Leeds Bradford and Liverpool and said no we will have somewhat higher prices than the competition commission recommended and then fast forward five or six years we were able then to de-designate 
uh, to deregulate uh, Manchester on the basis of the development of competition that had taken place. But again, the sort of approach the CA was taking, again, under my predecessor, these decisions were made to um, to competition and, and to the setting of price controls were really pretty important in just making sure that competition wasn't, wasn't undermined at a very early, early formative stage. Yeah, so does the Manchester example set a precedent then for what we might see in the southeast? Well, I think uh, that's a good point. And I think what it does say is that and we, did, we, we took this into account actually a little bit when we were doing the Stansted price control in 2008. Um, that actually what we've got to do is look very closely at how competition may develop and ensure that price controls are set so as to enable that to develop. That may mean developing a different form of price control, something that's looking more at long-term price levels than the cost-based formulae that tend to be the way in which uh, monopoly price controls are done. You have to recognise that because the airport market is evolving, it's not in that pure natural monopoly place. Uh, and therefore, you've got to set price controls which are much more consistent than the, the cost-based building block uh, tend to be uh, to, uh, to enable that competition to, to develop. So moving on to your second C then, Harry. We've spoke about competition, but we've also referred to constructive engagement which was one of the big issues that, that comes to your mind when you think back on your time there. What would you say were the highs and low points of constructive engagement? Well, I suppose the high point was actually thinking about it in the first place. I mean, I turned up in the CA in 2003. Uh, the airlines were extremely disappointed with the price control settlement, which had involved very high price increases at Heathrow to pay for Terminal 5. Um, there was a history of poor relationships between the airport and the airlines and everybody was saying the CA hadn't done its job very well in one way or another. And it struck me that coming in as a complete outsider that there was far too much emphasis laid on the CA's role and too little on what the airports and airlines should be doing together to improve the business. And they're, they're the, the business of the airport, the operational business of the airport, the investment business of the airport, and therefore their own businesses. So what I wanted to do was get more commercially oriented arrangements built into the regulatory process. And that was the origin of constructive engagement, just simply saying, for God's sake, talk to each other. Very simple uh, thought, uh, but one so simple that hadn't really happened properly. And I think now... Looking back, and I was just at a function last night where two of the two representatives of the uh, of the airport, uh, or sorry, of the airlines at Heathrow, came up to me unsolicited and just talked about the extent to which BAA and they were able to talk much more freely, much more openly. How BAA was much more transparent than it had been. So there's been enormous progress, but it hasn't been without its difficulties, which means there've been some lows. Mm. And, you know, one of the really difficult things is you invest quite a lot of time into this process and at the end, people are still disagreeing. And I think one of the important points we always made was that this wasn't about getting agreement at any price. It maybe wasn't even about getting agreement in all cases. It was actually about talking together, identifying where the issues were, laying out much more clearly what was at stake um, and getting agreement where possible, but if not, 
being clear about what the disagreement was about and allowing the regulator, therefore, to focus attention on those issues. Now, there were many more of them, perhaps, than we, we hoped. Uh, but there is no doubt that, all in all, this has improved relations a lot. And if we look at what we then learnt as the CAA, and you were involved in this, Rob, what we learnt from that, those processes at the airport for uh, the Nats price control, which we did a couple of years afterwards, we learnt an enormous amount about how to run those processes better. And in particular, we had relied on the parties to develop their own uh, meeting protocols, their own recording of decisions, on the basis, I think, well, here you've got two grown-up parties, leave them to do it. Well, that was a mistake. Uh, they couldn't be relied on to do that in a way that uh, was, uh, there wasn't sufficient trust, if you like, to enable them to do that uh, properly in a way that was going to take the process forward. So we learned we needed to be much clearer about the rules of the game. And on that basis, we could stand back and let them go get on with it. The idea of customers in whichever form becoming involved more in price reviews is a hot topic across regulated sectors at the moment. There's a study in the water sector which I'm involved with, um, which is looking at this very issue. Would you say that improving the rules of the game is, is central to the success of this type of initiative? Whether it's central, it's certainly essential. So it's, it's getting the, the rules of the game, getting how the process is going to work, the timings, the recording of agreements and disagreements, uh, ensuring that meetings are held properly. All of that is essential. It's probably not as central as trying to get that, what I talked about earlier, which is the development of trust between the parties, so that actually there's a genuine discussion. Yes. And one of the interesting things, I think, about expanding this to other sectors, which I am absolutely in favour of, is it's going to be more difficult than where you've got two well-established commercial parties, simply because you will have, on one side, the regulated industry, but on the other side... Who, who have you got representing consumers and how do you tap into the consumer uh, Indeed, desires? In the, in the aviation case, we had a ready-made body in the airlines who could step into those shoes, but that's not quite the case in some sectors. Exactly. Um, so it's going to take some inventiveness, I think. I mean, clearly consumer bodies can, can fulfil part of this if they're well organised. But I think one of the interesting things, they're going to have to think about what their role really is and what of course they've got to approach issues problems uh, investments service quality all of those issues from uh, from the perspective of consumers but they've got to do it in the knowledge of the industry in the round and they've got to be looking at the industry in the round yes. so it's going to take i think it's going to be a little bit of a culture change for for those bodies but also i think there's going to be a role for for more detailed looking at uh, through focus groups through opinion surveys looking at what consumers individual consumers are thinking and hoping that will also inform the the discussions yes. but you're going to have to have some focal point in in terms of a uh, consumer body but maybe one that's better informed as well where do you stand on the role of the regulator through constructive engagement or greater involvement in customers because this was an issue that we returned to time and again in the aviation case different parties had different views about how involved the CEA should be or how involved the regulator should be I think I'd take a slightly different uh, view if you're thinking about individual customers versus companies. Yes. So 
as if you talk the airports and the airlines, I was always very clear the CA should be out of the room. Uh, because I think once the CA was in the room, that that whole commercial discussion would become something very different. It would become a, a discussion about influencing the regulator. It would be it would bound to get into that dimension. So CA out of the room. But I think one of the things we learnt in the airport uh, airline um, discussions was that the CA perhaps needed to be in more touch with how the discussions had gone. And when we came to the NATS process, we did institute, uh, if you like, keep up type of uh, processes where we met the joint chairs of the uh, of the body that that was doing the the negotiation and the discussion where we could keep in touch with what was going on Um, so keeping in touch but not involved now if you're talking about uh, the individual consumers and how they're represented it may be that the there's got to be a little bit more regulatory intervention if you like in terms of thinking through precisely how consumers will be involved and maybe if not hand-holding a little bit more guidance about how that would work simply because you're not dealing with ready form commercial parties who ought to be able to talk you're having to set something up specifically for this purpose yes yeah, so it's horses for courses you might say it depends on the regime and the framework and the, the type of institutions involved yeah it does i think the greater the extent to which the regulator can step back so there's a genuine interaction with the parties the better but i think you need to be sure that there's a party ready to do the discussion undertake the discussion before you can do that moving on slightly from engagement between customers and regulated companies one of the issues that's always fascinated me and i'm thinking in particular back to my time in the energy sector different companies have deployed different strategies which to influence the regulators so some companies um, tend to be quite hostile depending on the issue at stake other companies tend to be quite strategic what advice would you give to a regulated company if it's thinking about the best way to influence a regulator well, I, my history course goes back as well to being in the Treasury, where I was a Treasury official dealing with departments, and now I've been a regulator dealing with regulated companies. And I think I would have made the same uh, point from both perspectives, Treasury and uh, being a regulator, which is be straightforward. Be absolutely straightforward. Think through what, where you're going, but then tell the truth and be straightforward about what you want to do. Um, that elaborate gaming inevitably unravels at some point. It either unravels uh, during the process or it unravels after the process when it becomes apparent that maybe there were more savings to be had than you were suggesting or it was all going to be more difficult than you were suggesting or whatever it is, it becomes apparent. And then regulation is a repeat game because the regulator comes back next time and the regulator learns lessons from the previous process. So, you know, you may have scored a a short-term victory, but is that a long-term one? So I think very much be straightforward, decent business plans, well-grounded in the facts, ready to accept and understand that the regulator is there to challenge and to have the information ready, be open about it, transparent about that, and to be very clear about your strategy with the regulator to the regulator. Mm. Um, So... That's, I think, the best the best way to approach this. And and my own feeling is that the uh, the price control you and I both worked on last, which was the Nats price control, I think you know we made a few adjustments to the company's plan. Um, but in general, I think Nats provided a pretty good plan and one that was uh, well uh, sort of uh, well adjusted 
to the facts of the situation that they they were facing and that came through in a lot of the discussions. I think that's fair and that idea that they had a straightforward plan showed up I think in the final determination that that's yeah. received not before the CEA gave it very careful scrutiny you may yeah. say. No we gave very careful scrutiny but you know it withstood that scrutiny because uh, they I think had taken the decision that they were actually going to uh, you know be very clear about what their position was and make sure that it accorded with the reality because they knew they were going to be challenged by people who were very experienced now in their business because a number of us had been around quite a long time. And this is actually one of the, I think, important things to regulate the extent to which you've got some continuity in the organisation helps you undertake that scrutiny, but it also means that the company knows that there are people there who know quite a lot about the business. Indeed, some wise words, Harry, for those who are thinking about preparing for a regulatory determination in the future. I think we're getting towards the end of the interview, Harry. The final question I wanted to ask you was, are you able to share a bit more of what's in store in the future for Dr. Bush after eight years in the front line? What's your plans for the coming period? Well, I think it's... uh, I I don't intend to depart the regulatory scene, so I think people will see me around, perhaps not all all the time in, in aviation. I mean, one of the interesting things is the extent to which... Uh, if you build up some capital in a particular sector of regulation, you're then able to deploy that in other sectors as well because quite a, there were differences, industry-specific issues, but there are also quite a lot of similarities and quite a lot of general uh, lessons to be learned. The point we were talking about constructive engagement being applied to other industries in very different circumstances is one of them. So I would expect to be popping up and uh, in a number of different guises uh, in a number of different sectors. Excellent. Well, thanks very much for your time today, Harry. Yeah, thank you very much. Enjoyed it. That's us at the end of the Regulatory Economics podcast. Thanks very much to Dr. Harry Bush for a very thoughtful and interesting interview. We'd love to know what you thought of the podcast and we'd be keen on feedback. Send us an email at podcast at southeasteconomics.co.uk. If you want to find out more, please visit the website at www.southeasteconomics.co.uk. Join us again for the next edition of this podcast. I've been Rob Toll. Thanks for listening.